Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Jenny Sutter. She is the market president for FranNet. I want to thank you for having uh, being on the show today, and uh, we're, I'm excited what we're going to talk about. And uh, it's something we haven't talked about on the show yet. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So I'm going to start with you, where I start with everybody. Kind of, how did you get into this space? What is your origin story? You know, why franchising? Yeah. So I actually. Um, you know, I went to, to college, got my business degree with a, with a focus in marketing, and I actually used my degree <laughs> right out of college. I, I started working for a restaurant corporation, a national, national restaurant chain as, their, as a marketing manager for them. Did that for about three and a half years. Um, it was a great, you know, right out of college job, honestly. And then after that, I um, went on to doing uh, marketing for a med spa chain. So I went from burgers to laser hair removal, which, um, you know, but marketing is marketing. So I did that for, gosh, I was with that company for just over 12 years. So I um, was with them for quite a long time. During that duration of being, you know, in the corporate world, I got married, I had kids, and my lifestyle just changed. The things I wanted in life, the, the way my day looked, I wanted it to change. I was traveling a lot, I was working late, and I didn't really have time to, you know, go to my kids' little school parades or, you know, be the, the classroom mom <laughs> that I wanted to be. So I realized I, I really needed change. I was getting really burnt out. So when I thought about that. I thought, okay, you know, what does change look like? I could get another job somewhere, but honestly, that would look exactly the same, <laughs> just different color, color, you know, wallpaper on the walls. Um, so I didn't want to do that. I could start my own business. And uh, that wasn't something I really was interested in doing. I, with my marketing background, I, being a marketing consultant just seemed like it wouldn't be a better lifestyle for me, quite frankly. Um, and then I thought, well, I could, you know, what about a franchise? Because <laughs> I was familiar with franchises, both the med spa chain and the restaurant chain that I was with uh, were both franchises. And I so I was on the other end of franchising. I was on the support side of franchise. So I knew with a franchise that if you follow the system, it can work. And so I thought, well, why don't I just turn a whole new leaf and do something completely different and, you know, search out franchises. So I did. I started looking for different franchise opportunities that were out there. I did what most people do, and I Googled the best franchise. in. Uh, I'm in the, the Tampa Bay area, so I Googled best franchises in Tampa Bay, and lots of things popped up. <laughs> so I quickly got pretty overwhelmed, uh, started researching some opportunities that were out there that didn't make a whole lot of sense for me uh, based on what I you know, did want my lifestyle to, to look like. And luckily, I did find a franchise consultant to help me and navigate through, you know, what what opportunities are out there that exist in the franchise world that are available that are within my investment range that um, would, 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 you know, check my boxes for my lifestyle goals. And um, so started researching different franchises working with her. Turns out she was retiring and FranNet is a franchise. So FranNet uh, was one of the franchise opportunities she did present to me. And I guess you probably know the end of the story there. That's how I am where I am now um, being a franchise consultant. I now help people who are in a similar place as me looking for franchise opportunities uh, find, find the options that are out there that make sense for them. You know, a, a lot of the mentors and stuff we... Uh that we use in the acquisition entrepreneur space, they kind of lean against the, like away from franchises. They say, no, 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 don't do that, go that. But what I've found, and this is the reason I, I, I agreed to and wanted you on the show, is what I've found is a lot of the people that do those courses, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show, they just don't have operational experience. They've never, 
they might have been a great employee for a while. And maybe, yeah, they actually helped doc document some systems and processes, but they've never had uh, uh, like a P&L responsibility, a profit and loss uh, you know, responsibility at a company. They've never had um, like ownership of something like that. And for one thing, I think this this is, you know, one of the things the coaches and the uh, mentors will say is like find companies that have great systems and processes. Well, you got that. If I find systems that have, uh, you know, a proven you know, market, you know, you know, the, the, so a lot of it checks a lot of the boxes and you don't necessarily have to, you know, this is a, one of the myths that's probably out there, right? You don't have to necessarily buy one that's like and build a building and start your own, right? There are, there's a market for ones that exist. Right. Owners are retiring, doing something else and, and are for sale. So uh, I wanted to chat about some of that. Like what is different from just buying your mom and pop, uh, you know, construction company and buying a franchise? Well, for one with a franchise, like you mentioned, you know, they have systems and structure in place. So they are a proven process for, you know, getting into business and staying into business. They've already they've already made the mistakes. <laughs> they've already, um, you know, figured out which POS system that needs to be involved or CRM system that needs to be involved, the technology stack uh, without having to do a lot of trial and error there. They've already um, they have coaches that they they, you know, and mentors that they have for you so that if you do have a, a, a question about something or can't figure out how to navigate something, you know, you have a resource to reach out to. There's training that they provide to you. So there's, you know, it's a, I don't want to say it's as simple as a business in a box, but there's a lot of resources that you have, you know, at your disposal, disposal with a franchise. And they give you that pathway for, for getting into business and staying in business. If you should go the route of buying an existing one or, if you are to kind of start one from ground up. You know, the other thing is, is a lot of people think, well, the reason that the, you know, and I get, I get some of the extent why the, the mentors and coaches say stay away, but it's because I get it. I don't necessarily know if I agree with it. One of the interesting things is, is that there's this misconception out there that you can't grow through acquisition. And that's a big strategy they, uh, they teach buy your competitors, buy your suppliers and that stuff. The suppliers would probably be out in the franchise, but you can certainly buy out other similar and, um, you know, franchises in the space. Um, so tell, you'll talk about like, what are the different growth strategies? Uh, is it buying multiple locations? What are, what are the uh, growth strategies available to somebody who's wanting to do acquisition entrepreneurship, but start in the franchising because it has a lot of those boxes checked? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways that people grow utilizing a you know franchise to grow. First and foremost, there are franchises where you know you, there's high growth opportunity. So think of you know kind of some you know you know first to market franchises that are out there where the, the growth opportunity is huge, and you buy multiple territories or multiple units. Uh, so you can grow with the same existing franchise and, you know, having multiple multiple units and, that, and that's a way you know, to, to build your business and growth opportunity. Another way is to buy multiple different kinds of franchises. So it's not uncommon for uh, people that, you know, are in, let's say, a home services franchise to then invest in a different home services franchise because now they have crossover clientele and they can, you know, cross market to each other. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a complementary uh, business uh, opportunity. So there's different ways, different growth strategies. Uh, depends on the the availability in the market for that particular franchise, of course. But you know, there most people, depending on the kind of franchise, don't always invest in just a single unit. They invest in multiples if that's what they're looking for is growth. You know, there's also the opportunity uh, to grow through having systems and processes to run your business a different way. The one I'm thinking in, uh, of in mind is I had a guy who presented to me a franchise. I didn't know it was a franchise when it presented. I probably would have not listened as far as I did. Uh, <laughs> my, my fallacy, not, you know, my bad. Uh, but it was a mobile tire repair. The reason, the only reason I uh, knew it existed is I had a blowout. Uh, and when I towed my truck to the uh, farm, uh, which is 27 miles away from anything out there in Oklahoma, uh, Anyway, when I towed it to the farm, 
the, the I guess I had damaged the back rear wheel also. So not only did I have one flat, which I you know I had a spare for it, it was just too late to want to change it. I had a blowout at like one o'clock in the morning. It's like I'm just calling the tow truck, take this home. I'm going to go home and lay down. And uh, so I go outside and there's two flat tires. I'm like, okay, now what I do? So I started calling around my mobile mechanic, you know, guy I have come fix my car. You know, I, I'm too busy to go drop my cars off at the shop. I, I make them come to me and fix it there. So I have a mobile <laughs> mechanic. So I call him and I say, hey, could you come out and bring, you know, bring a couple of jacks and jack stands. I need to come all the way out to my farm. And this was going to get expensive. I said, pull off two of my tires, take them into town and get them fixed and bring them back, put them back on. He says, you know, I have a buddy who owns a mobile tire repair. He actually has a truck and he. You tell him the size of tires, he just brings the tires and brings them on and puts them on your farm. He's done. So when he did that, I was like, I was really, you know, kind of intrigued. And I said, you know, if you ever think to sell this thing, I mean, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you. It's kind of cool. And he goes, well, I'm not the owner, but the owners are wanting to retire. They bought this recently and decided that they wanted to just, they, they don't want to do it. So I, I ended up talking to him, found out it was a franchise. And uh, so just, I kind of backed and it was only doing about a hundred K a year. Yeah. That's a job. <laughs> and uh, so, but I, I talked to him and I, I went down and uh, I, I don't think that ever it got sold, you know, to who I, who I presented it to. But I had, uh, there were two guys I know that had a shops where they did tire repair. I said, hey, man, you got you to just buy into this franchise because you're local and sometimes people call you. You know, I know you get calls all the time. Hey, can you send somebody out or something? You should buy this franchise, get two or three vans do everything here, but also have the ability for the upscale seller services. Like, Hey, you know, you want us to come out to your place or your, your work and change your tires. We can do that too. And uh, that would be a brilliant growth strategy. So I think there's some stuff inside of there. If you look at them, like if you had a, uh, let me think of another one. Uh, I'm in the real estate space, home services, right? If I uh, like, I have friends right now, he's, you know, they have a ton of Airbnbs, you know, buying a Molly made franchise, probably not a bad idea for him. Right. He's constantly having to have something clean, like, you know, spur of the moment. And that's the biggest problem he has is cleaners not showing up in that little gap he has before him booking, you know, so he ends up, he has to go out and clean his own places. So, um, what about, what about those type of growth strategies? Have you, have you helped people with that before? Yeah, I mean, definitely that's, you know, so in the franchise world, especially with a home service, usually you are investing in a territory. So, you know, maybe it's a, a county, a series of zip codes, a number of house, number, number you know, of households that meet your, uh, you know, criteria, but you usually have, you know, a territory. And so that your first growth strategy is, of course, to maximize that territory because, you know, so that might mean multiple vehicles. So in a, let's say in a home service, residential cleaning service, like a Molly made or a home clean heroes or one of those, you know, you're going to want multiple vehicles on the road. So that's your initial growth strategy is to, you know, market enough to saturate your initial territory in order to grow your business. And then your secondary growth strategy is to invest in multiple territories. Uh, so now you just continue to have more and more vehicles on the road. You're maximizing your marketing spend and you're maximizing um, your, um, you know, the employees because you're, you're able to tap into the same employees to do different jobs. So um, that's, you know, a kind of, I, I, that's the kind of growth strategy that a lot of people look at is, you know, starting with one, growing that and expanding beyond there so that you can tap into the resources that are already existing. Yeah, I just thought of something. What about um, a franchise that starts out? Do you, do you get any franchises out there? They're, they're young franchises, what, I've, what I'm thinking of. They've got six or eight locations. And, um, you know, the reason I'm thinking about this is during the marketing roll-up last year, we were working on one of the marketing agencies had franchised. They had had eight, seven or eight locations. And as part of what we were doing, we were going to actually just acquire the whole bunch, right? The, the master franchise. I forget what's that called. Is that what it's called? The, like yeah, the yeah. It's usually called a master franchise. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we were going to acquire them. And then he owned some of the locations. He bought them back. And, uh, but do you come across that where, you know, a franchise has started, they got six or eight locations and, um, now they're considering selling the whole package. Oh yeah. So there's, 
there's different ways to invest in a franchise. And some franchise organizations have what's called a master franchise or an area developer. That's another another way where they'll sell an entire market, let's say. So again, I'm in Tampa. They might sell the Tampa market as an area development master franchise deal. The goal of that master franchise owner is to then find other franchisees underneath them to, you know, let's say Tampa, for instance, can hold seven or eight different franchise locations or territories, whatever that is, underneath them uh, to find, you know, different franchisees underneath them. So they're making a piece of the pie, right? They're making a percentage of the percentage. Um, So that's one way that, that, you know, that's one option in franchising is to be kind of that empire builder or to own multiple as a master to own the multiples and then sell off the multiples once they're already up and running, because then it becomes more of a resale. It's a, it's a thriving business, hopefully. And so it becomes something that is more resellable. So two different ways as a master franchise that people go about doing that. What about buying? Uh, I think more what I was looking for is buying the franchise, the franchise or Right. The actual yeah. parent company that, you know, like that's what we were doing. He wasn't we weren't buying a master franchise in that realm that you were talking about. We were buying the franchise, the, the, the parent company. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, uh, looking to like own the offices and actually use the offices to upsell other you know marketing services from all these other companies we are acquiring. So do you get a, do you come across that very often where, you know, Somebody started to franchise their business. They've got so many, maybe 10, 15 different locations, but the franchise or is willing to sell the entire company. Sure. I mean, uh, private equity comes in, VC companies come in. Um, there are a lot of franchise organizations that are under umbrellas, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with Neighborly, for instance. It's probably the biggest one. It has a lot of home services franchise. I mean, they have probably... 15 to 20 different franchise organizations underneath them. How do they do that? They buy out other, you know, companies that have started to franchise and say, hey, we'll buy your franchise because it makes sense to bring in under our umbrella, complement it, and we're going to systematize it in the way that we've done it with everything else. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, we see that. And it comes in a variety of different ways. Usually it's a bigger franchise organization that's buying a smaller one or, um, you know, private equity comes in uh, quite a bit too with franchises. So most of my listeners, including myself, we operate in a space that's just below that private equity line, right? So the private equity, and and they're kind of crawling into our space right now, but usually private equity is kind of interested in companies doing revenue of 25 million and above, and EBITDA is at least two to 3 million, you know, some, most of them are at that five yeah. to 10 million or more. So we, we operate, a lot of the people I've talked to and, and a lot of people listen on the show, operate in that low that layer just below it for for the sole purpose and to be honest 100 honest with the intent that within two or three years we'll be in their range and then if we want to sell we can sell at a higher multiple to them yeah right so there's an arbitrage game you can play inside of this world a lot of people don't know that you know once you hit a certain number the multiple what the value of the company not does it go up a little bit it goes up another multiple so you might sell a you know a sub one million dollars uh profitable company in profits, EBITDA, or seller discretionary earnings for 3x of that multiple. And if you can get it over 10 million, the PE starts coming in, you might sell it for 10, you're not 10, maybe eight, nine, sometimes 10 or 11, if it's like certain very, very limited industries. So now you've you've significantly increased your value. Um, Let's talk about, let's, let's talk about the franchise side of this. What, how do you help a guy like myself, what would, what would you ask me if you're trying to figure out what type of franchise fits me? Yeah. Um, so I actually, I take my clients through a process, um, because if they're not willing to follow my process, they're probably not going to be willing to follow a franchise process. So that's kind of step one, number one. Um, that's probably why I'm not in them is I don't like following other people's rules very well. So (laughs) you got me, you got me. (laughs) Yep. They're not for everyone. That's for sure. Um, so I, you know, I do take them through a series of steps, you know, first and foremost being we, FranNet specifically has a proprietary um, profiling tool that we use. It's much like, you know, DISC or Myers-Briggs in the sense of it's honing in on, you know, you know, kind of who you are, what makes you tick. Specifically for FranNet, it's, you know, what value systems do you have? What motivates you? um, What leadership style, work style? So there's, you know, an assessment that I have my clients take. It does not 
come out with, ah, oh, here's the, you know, perfect franchises for Ron. You know, it's not going to do that. But it does get me some insight into what what drives them. So that's kind of step number one. Next step being we do sit down and have, you know, pretty a pretty in-depth deep dive, you know, conversation. You know, everything revolved around lifestyle, goals, uh, money, uh, everything, you know, such as, you know, what are your goals in the short term? Where do you want to be, you know, 20 years from now? And what does retirement look like to you? Uh, what does your exit plan look like? And, um, you know, or, you know, I'm also going to talk to you about what kinds of industries do you like? What kinds of things do you want to avoid? What do you want your day to look like? How many hours do you want to contribute into the business? Uh, employees, what do you want your employees to look like? You know, are, are you, are they skilled, unskilled? part-time, full-time, salary, hour, you know, hourly. Some people don't even know or they don't care and that's fine, but some people are very specific about what they're looking for. So I do a deep dive conversation. Uh, we call it building a business model um, that helps me then come back to my clients with, here's these options that are, they're available in whatever area that you're in, because that's another part of the equation too, is how much can I afford? And is it even available? <laughs> because just because you see it, you know, as soon as you see it, usually it's not available, put it that way. Uh, you know, I get a lot of folks that are like, oh, I've never heard of that franchise before. And I'm like, well, if you've heard of it, it's probably not available. <laughs> um, so, you know, I help kind of navigate through what's available and, um, you know, by, by just deep diving into what their wants and needs are. Awesome. So you said something important during there, what, you know, the type of people you want to work around. A lot of people overstep that. And uh, uh, it was one of my guests on there. He had a really deep story. And I'll give you the synopsis of the, the high level view of it. Uh, Wall Street type, banker type suit tie three-piece suit you know really formal type buys a semi-retires buys a moving company and if you think about in most big cities who works for moving companies uh typically it's dexcons to be honest um mm -hmm. you know they pass a background check barely and but it, it's 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 a very laborious manual labor job and um this particular one was uh it was a group of people who uh, that's what they hired. Basically, they they had a program. Uh, they worked with parole officers and they hired parolees. Well, the Wall Street type gets in there and he cannot. He, he's used to managing in a, you know, he buys this franchise, moves their office because it was it was a warehouse looking thing with to one that has this beautiful, like big conference table. oak and of stuff course. like that. He's used to he brings he, he shows up in his suit and tie and tries to have meetings with all his workers and they pretty much, to be honest, they ran over him and ate him alive. He ended up coming back to the broker a few years, like within a year or so and sold it back. It just wasn't, it's really important that, uh, it, you can manage the culture that the company provides. All right. Or is used to, uh, I turned away an engineering company in, in, uh, Texas after learning that the manager, that was run it forever manages by kicking, screaming, kicking trash cans, screaming and yelling at everybody. I don't do that. I don't know how to hire people that do that. And anybody that's been working there, he's like, my employees have been here for 15 years. Anybody that works there that long needs it. And it's not a culture I can support or, or know how to manage. So I, I just couldn't go any further. Um, so it's really important that I, I'm interesting. How does that play in in franchise? Like, you know, if you're buying into a franchise and you're not very good with managing I'd say teens and youth and stuff. What other, uh, what other culture things, culture, I can't even speak today, culture, cultural things um, come into play when you're thinking about different types of franchises? Well, lots of dis different aspects. So like, you know, employees, cultural, you know, who are you willing to manage? What does that look like? You know, really asking them. Sometimes most people have not thought about that. <laughs> you know, when I ask them, you know, what kinds of employees are you looking for? Like, what do you mean? Um, and so we talk about that. Like, can you imagine yourself managing high school kids or managing senior citizens or, you know, managing people that have a different skill set than you do, um, you know, or unskilled versus skilled? You know, like, how do you what you really think about that a little bit? And, you know, not to mention how many employees are you comfortable with? You know, if you're not, you know, comfortable with 
you know, lots of employees, then that's going to, that kind of, the business that you're looking for is different than one that requires a lot of employees. Uh, So definitely employees come into that play. I also think it's important to understand the culture of the franchise organization that you're now going to align yourself with. I think that's very important. So when you're going through the research process of, is this franchise make any sense for me? Not only are you interviewing them, they're interviewing you. So uh, the great franchises, they have no no problems raising their hand saying, you know what, I don't think you're a good fit for our organization. Um, I actually admire that when they when they do it because it it means that they're building a certain kind of culture. Um, but as you know, from a from a potential you know candidate franchisee standpoint, interview them on on what their culture is. You've got to talk to their leadership and do you feel similar to what their values are and their views on things. Talk to other franchise owners. I don't ever let my clients move forward with a franchise without talking to people who are actually doing it day in, day out. Do How do you feel about them? Do you feel similar to them? So I think, you know, that's one great thing with a franchise is you do have that opportunity to kind of vet the culture of the company up front. Now you're going to create your own culture too, right? It is your business, your franchise, but it is important that it comes from top down as well. Got it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, so we talked about the culture there and like the people you're going to be managing and stuff. Um I think there's a, at least I have this preconceived notion that, you know, the franchises do things the way the franchises do them and it's a cookie cutter and you have to do it exactly that way. I know there are some very strict ones, right? Um, I know somebody who has a a friend of the friend, their part-time job is they're a uh, kind of a secret shopper. They, They work for franchise companies and they travel from store to store and check things that are not in compliance. So like they they have like gigs with Subway and some of the ones like that. And they'll show up. And if you got different art on the walls, you, your violation of the, right. uh, the culture or, or their rules. Are there other franchises that are kind of just pretty, a lot wide, more wide open than that? Oh yeah. They come in all spectrums. Honestly, there are definitely the, you know, hyper strict, um, you know, it's their way or the highway, like, you know, everything down to the T, the big M is one of those, right? Like you, you know, you're not going to be, you know, having different art on the walls short of them, you know, pre-approving it because it's within their brand and they've created it. Um, But then there's other franchise organizations that aren't as strict that way because it doesn't matter either to who their end consumer is, or, you know, they, they want the owners, the franchise owners to take on more responsibility and feel more at home with their business. So it really, there's a spectrum of them, which is part of, which is part of the vetting process, by the way, that we, I talk through with my clients, like, you know, how, how, you know, compliant can you be, or do you want to be? Uh, And if you're not a very compliant person, that isn't, you know, something that you're willing to do, then you're going to need a looser system, you know, maybe a newer franchise where you can help with, you know, kind of creating the kind of culture that you like to. Um, But if they are a super compliant person, that can be a little bit of a, of a red flag too, because (laughs) they do need to run a business after all. And so, but I would know if they're, you know, somebody, you know, if I find them to be a super compliant person to be, they do need a really strict system. So that, again, that's part of the vetting system. It is part of the the process when you're looking at franchise organizations and vetting them against each other of what makes, what's a fit for you. You have to find the right fit. So uh, me owning a McDonald's franchise and me thinking, you know, would never work because I'm the kind of the guy that goes, oh, you're willing to give me grandma's recipe? I've got a fryer and <laughs> you got some chicken? Where's that? Let's try this. Right. And, you, and there's you just can't do that with most of them. Right. There's um, there, there's just boundaries inside of there. That's OK. Um, talk about a lot of people think that the franchise owner comes into play and dictates prices when you sell and stuff. How do, how does it work when you decide I'm ready to retire and you want to sell a franchise now? Um, is there like, do you have to go back through the franchise? I know the franchise has to approve the new buyer, but explain that process. Cause I know nothing about it. So. Yeah. You know, I, ironically that can be, that's very, 
widely varied as well <laughs> um, from franchise to franchise. Um, you're exactly right. One of the, you know, the criteria is that the franchise organization would need to approve whoever the buyer is. Um, so there, that's definitely um, comes into play. But it's, other than that, sometimes they want, the franchise organization will want you to go through them in order to resell the business. Um, sometimes they're like, you're on your own, tell us when you have a buyer. Um, and um, But there always is going to be uh, some transferable things that are going to need to happen when you're reselling a franchise. So that means that the new buyer is going to have to pay some sort of franchise fee, most likely. Um, and if there are kind of the the brokers um, in the group involved, maybe they have to pay a, a broker, um, you know, that that you know, as well. So it, that can come into play, but it is much like selling any other business with the exception of there is that extra layer of the franchise organization being involved, needing that approval, how they, you know, wh whether the franchise will be involved in the sale, you know, highly involved or not involved at all is really up to the franchise organization. And that highly varies. So there's no, um, what is the wrong word I'm looking for? There's no there's nobody going to say okay you've got a McDonald's friend. McDonald's is a bad example because they're expensive and very controlling but that's the first thing that comes to my mind so, so you have a McDonald's franchise in in Tulsa Oklahoma right and you're ready to sell it McDonald's isn't going to come to you and go well McDonald's franchises sell for 1.5 million dollars in Tulsa Oklahoma that's your price right they don't do I mean are they going to is there a not unless it's in their agreement um, but usually yeah usually that's not going to be that you know part of it. Again, different franchises are different. Um, oh. You know, so, and then there's also some franchises where they are more profit share than they are, you know, a sellable business. So keep that mm -hmm. in mind too. So like the Chick-fil-A's of the world, you can't sell <laughs> that business. Um, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a sellable business when you, when you own a Chick-fil-A, um, you know, they, they own it essentially, and you're making a profit share from it. Um, so when you're ready to retire, you, you essentially have to walk away and it, and Chick-fil-A is responsible for finding the new owner. You can't buy one either. You got to go over there and serve Chick-fil-A for a couple of years and earn your way into there. Oh yeah. It's a very, that, talk about culture, right? Like that, <laughs> that is a, a very culture heavy organization um, for a reason and, and it shows, right? But it isn't your typical franchise where anyone in the world can buy one and uh, you know, it's soup, you know, there, there's lots of availability. It, it's a, it's a different beast for sure. So I usually ask people like, tell me something you wish you'd have known that you know now you wish you'd have known before you started, but I'm going to switch that question around just a little bit on you. What is something you know now that you you help owners with now that you learned because you just it wasn't like day one they didn't tell you hey this you got to get this information from the owner you know or the seller or the buyer but after you know after some time now you're like wait a second <laughs> I need this this and this because it, it works better if I have it is there anything in that in your space now that's kind of acquired knowledge that that anybody considering going down your path would need to know. Well, I think um, I think first and foremost, from a from my client side, mm -hmm. um, you know, I I, for, I go straight into you know the capital, um, you know, how much capital, how well capitalized are they, how comfortable are they with the investment. Um, so you know, really understanding what is their funding source. Are they self funding? Are they getting loans? What does that look like? What could they be you know approved for? So uh, that you know, I didn't write you know when I first started doing this, I you know it's kind of tricky to talk to people about money. <laughs> so that was, that was intimidating to me, but now I kind of go, I go right for, for that. And I, you know, we talk about what's their money source, uh, because it is an investment either way you look at it. Uh, so that is, is one thing, uh, we all know that probably biz business is the biggest reason businesses fail is because they're undercapitalized. Right. So, uh, that, that part, I want my clients to really feel good about that they have, um, enough capital. And then, um, you know, one other thing that I really it is we kind of already talked about it, but really vetting the culture of the of the franchise organization and talking to those other franchisees that are out there and asking them, would they do this again? <laughs> you know, how happy are you with the franchise organization? How happy are you with the systems that they have? You know, so really making sure that that's not a step that skipped um, from, you know, my client side and really pushing them to, you know, talk to as many um, you know, franchisees as they can, as long as they're available to talk to them. 
What are the uh, myths in the mar- in your space about franchising and your profession that you think there's a, you just really want to debunk? Uh, there's got to be something out there that just really bugs you that people think <laughs> in general about franchising. Well, I think um, well, I think the number one thing is a lot of people immediately with a franchise they do think of you know McDonald's, French fries, donuts, you know coffee, um, and and th- there are while there are a lot of restaurant franchises. There are a lot of other types of franchises out there too, and in, in, in most in, in a lot of different industries. So that's you know probably the biggest myth is just educating people on what opportunities are out there, and then I think um, you know that the second one is that they're expensive, and I'm putting my air quotes around that, right? Because yes, there is a different level of investment when it comes to a franchise because there's an initial franchise fee that has to be paid. There's ongoing royalties that have to be paid. So your, you know, your P&L in the long term is going to look different. Um, however, if I was going to open a, let's say a haircutting place, right? Um, so I'm going to open Jenny's haircutting place, or I'm going to open a Supercuts, right? All things being equal, the investment level isn't going to be that different if you really think about it. There's going to be that initial franchise fee with the supercuts, but they probably have a lot of buying power on all of the equipment that goes into those, you know, the all the chairs and the scissors and the shampoo. <laughs> so there's a lot of buying power there. So all things being equal, because of the level that supercuts advertises and the employees that they employ, if I were to do the same thing, my investment level is going to be relatively the same amount of money as a supercuts. It's the long term of that paying those royalties that is different <laughs> for sure. So I think those are probably the two biggest things is, you know, that they're super expensive and that, um, that they're just, you know, restaurants. Now, some franchises, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but some franchises even have um, a financing option within them to some extent. So um, so now you have another additional source of funding. You can fund it yourself. You can fund it through like an SBA loan. I'm pretty sure you, yep. I'm, I'm 90% sure you can, you can buy them with SBA loans, right? Oh yeah, there's different. There's a couple different types of SBA loans depending on the level of investment and the type of business. Um, so there's those funding sources. There's also, um, you know, this is pretty common uh, for for franchise um, for franchises right now. Is it's called the ROBS program, rollover for business startup, where uh, folks who can utilize their 401k or IRA uh, as an investment into their business. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's a way to do it kind of tax-free, penalty-free and using that money. There's some different tax implications to it to where it's not for everyone and shouldn't always be done. But that's a way that a lot of folks are, are investing in their business is using money that they've already saved up that's theirs so they don't have to borrow. Uh, so yeah, there's different funding sources for sure. Awesome. So um I've asked a lot of questions. What what have I missed here? So like, if you were in my shoes, what questions would you have asked? Gosh. Um, you know, I get asked a lot, what are the most popular franchises? <laughs> right? Um, because, you know, that's what everyone wants to know. What's going to make me the most money? And it, as far as what's going to make me the most money, you know, there that comes in a lot of varieties of, of, you know, shades of how, how much effort are you putting in? How much investment are you putting it in, uh, putting into it? So that's up to due diligence with the franchise organization as to how much money you can make, how many locations you might need, whatever that is. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, but then as far as what ones are the most popular, I wouldn't say there is in the because of the nature of what I do, where I'm like matching people to the right franchise versus just, you know, hey, what about this one? What about this one? I will tell you that I think there's some industries that are more popular now than maybe ever used to be, or at least it's the trends that I'm seeing. Uh, so home services, which we've been talking about, home services is probably when I first started doing this, home services was the type of industry where people were kind of like, oh, you know, a maid service. I don't know about that. You know, it's a it's not an attractive thing to some people where now they were like, heck, yeah, everyone needs to be their house clean. They didn't close down during COVID, you know, whatever that is. So I think residential services really has, you know, I'm getting a lot more demand for that. I think also um, 
uh, pet franchises. Pets have also never been more popular. You can't go into a Home Depot without, you know, seeing a couple of different dogs in different shopping carts. <laughs> um, so pet industry franchises are very popular. Kids, anything for kids, people will spend as much money, you know, that they can for their kids. So kids uh, businesses are very popular. And um, I would also say fitness uh, is also a very popular industry um, because people, um, you know, are very fitness minded and, you know, especially coming out of COVID health minded, fitness minded, uh, it can, you know, fitness can be something that people can be super passionate about too. So those are kind of some trends that I'm seeing. Awesome. Are there any franchises out there you think, you know, uh, let me reword this, you know, somebody handed you, I don't know what the number is, a million bucks. Somebody handed you a million bucks right now and said, you can't spend it on anything, but you got to go buy a business and you have to buy the one that that makes the most money for you. Just, you know, I'm going to expect my money back in, you know, I don't know, three years, five years, whatever the number you know, is, and you get to keep everything above this. What, what would you, what would you look at? What, what is the, uh, what's out there, man, if you, you're thinking if I had the money, I'd get one of those too. <laughs> Gosh, I, I think I would diversify, honestly. <laughs> I would, I would, you know, I would put, you know, my money in a few different um, kinds because, I mean, you don't you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So there are several. I would I would I think I would go with pets. I'll be honest with you. I think some pet businesses are really they have the super high growth potential. I think it's actually an underserved market. You know, think of you know pet boarding and um, doggy daycare. Even though you feel like there's a lot of them out there, it's pretty underserved. Uh, so I would do something probably with pets. I probably would also do some sort of service, something that doesn't require me to have a brick and mortar. Uh, so so some sort of residential, you know, service, whether it's, you know, pool cleaning or um, painting, uh, something along those lines. So I would say somewhere, you know, and maybe, a, you know, a third option being, um, you know, I also like the beauty space. I came from from beauty and there's people will spend so much money on on their their beauty, whether it's eyelashes, eyebrows, uh, facials. So I think the beauty space is always something that I would I would put my dollar on as well. Yeah, recession be damned. No, no, there's not a woman on this planet that's going to let their their eyebrows connect. Their nails grow out. Okay. <laughs> nails, <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> so that's that's a good. There's a there's a segue for us. What I honestly, there's a very good chance we're heading to recession, damn near rep uh, depression phase here. What there's just I don't think there's anything like I don't think think there's anything such saying as a um, a passive business like passive income i think everything requires a little bit of work even my real yep. estate portfolio requires my my assistance but you know inside of that what's there's not in that same respect there's not anything out there i think that's resist, recession proof nope. but there's a lot of industries that are re recession resistance or what what opportunities do you think right now that'll fare farewell throughout any 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 upcoming economy well, I think, you know, always services and businesses that are in need no matter what. It doesn't, doesn't matter the demographics, doesn't matter uh, if there's a recession. So HVAC, plumbing, um, I think, you know, those are going to be, you know, big ones, uh, you know, restoration companies. You, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you get a, you know, you have mold in your house or you get a leak, there, there's no, you can't skirt that. Um, so I think those are, are ones that people are going to kind of be highly sought after um, during, you know, kind of a recession time or just businesses that are super more recession proof, things that aren't, you know, going to be a frivolous spend, if you will. Um, <clears throat> so, but there's a lot, there's franchises out there that are, that are for that. Yeah. So if you think about it, like, so those would be great. I, I honestly think that like nobody's in a set and swelter and heat. They're going to die. Right. Especially the heat wave they're having through the Midwest right now. Um, so if their AC uh, goes up, my buddy, actually uh, a good friend of mine, uh, his name's Tim. He owns a heat and air company. He puts out, uh, you know, signs around town when it's hot like that. It says uh, your wife's hot, fix your AC. It has his phone <laughs> number. Right. Uh, but it works. People call him. There are so there's that side of it, right? Things that are like I'm going to get this working, whether I've you know, whether the economy is good or bad. There's also the passion side of things. I, I'm thinking I'm looking around at like coffee, right? Yeah. People who are passionate about their coffee are going to figure out a way to get their brand of coffee, no matter what else goes on. Um, people, you know, it might decline a little bit. Like I said, not recession proof, but recession resistant. 
Um, you know, I guarantee if you come out with a new bass lure, I don't care what the economy is like, bass fishermen are going to buy it if you can prove it works. Right. There's just, it's, there's this, and there's a, there's a segment of different industries that are insanely passionate about what they do. Golf, right? Uh, there are people on this planet, no matter what the economy is doing, if they're still taking their breath in and out, they're going to buy the, you know, golf balls and, and they're insanely loyal, right? They go to the golf shop and they don't have their brand of that the particular item. They'll go to three more shops before they yeah. buy something different. So I, I think there's some space in there that's cushioned some safety around it. You can still buy something right now and do that uh, yeah. with the economy. I, think pet, I actually think pets is one uh, that, that falls into that category. People are extremely passionate about their pets. And if a pet needs to be groomed and they can't do it themselves, you know, that's, it's a necessity, um, you know, or, you know, if they're working and they don't want to leave their dog at home, they need the, the doggy daycare. So I think pets actually falls into that category as well. You wouldn't think so, but it really does. It probably does in this fact that people treat, like we just, we just, uh, right before we moved here to California, our dog passed, uh, of being around for 19 and a half years. Wow. Uh, he just outlived, uh, his little half chihuahua, half beagle. He was my buddy. A <laughs> uh, little, little bitty thing, but he's just, uh, he just, he lived a full life. But we treat, he, he was one of the family members. I mean, it literally was one of the family members. So uh, people, they connect that way. So their animals are just part of their family. So I can believe in, in any economy. I would say I'd be a little worry, uh, worrisome of luxury items. Yeah. Uh, gourmet pet food, uh, you know, Doggy treat bakeries. I'd be a little worried about that because people would refrain and use another product when money's tight, but they're not going to. Yeah. I think if you sell gourmet pet food, you need to have another revenue stream (laughs) Um, because people will, I mean, if their dog's diet is sensitive, they will continue to need to buy the, you know, high end pet food, but it's better if you also have another revenue stream within the location, whether it's, you know, boarding, daycare, grooming, whatever, washing. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you that some of the luxury things people pull away from. So kind of even within the same business being a little bit diversified. Okay. Uh, so let's see here. I feel like I'm missing something really cool here. Um, we talked a lot about like, what would you ask somebody who's thinking about buying a franchise? Do you help people sell their franchises? Well, in a way I do. (laughs) Um, So yes, there's definitely some what we call resales, franchise resales that we bring into our inventory. We know about them because I do um, quite often have people that I'm working with that are like, I already want an already existing business. It's already, you know, cash flowing. I don't want to have to build it from scratch. Um, So I definitely, you know, if we know about those franchise resales, then I can kind of connect the dots there just like I would any other franchise. They have, you know, a franchise development person that I can connect them with. They're going to vet them. They're then going to introduce them to the owner. Um, So I, I do in a roundabout way, but most of my clients are going to end up going with a franchise that's, you know, they're going to build from ground up in whatever market that that they want it to be in. Um, so yeah, a little, a combination of both. I, but I, I have also had franchise um, organizations come to me and it's not ones that we normally um, work with because with within FranNet, there is, we're a network of franchises. We don't work with every single franchise um, for lots of reasons, but um but if I can help them, I will, um, you know, because I if I have a client and they're looking for something that I might not have or feel like I have in my inventory, <laughs> I I would much rather they be happy. And, and you know, I'll, I'll give their information to um, whoever I can. That makes sense. OK. Um, what's your favorite success story? I mean, you've, you've got we've been doing this for a little while now. So what's the what's your favorite? I did this and now they're flourishing type of success story. Yeah. So my favorite success story is, um, is actually, gosh, I have a couple, but, um, but my favorite one is, um, I have a gentleman who he was in the corporate world. He did, uh, actually he did kind of PR for banking and for different financial institutions and got laid off 
from his job. Uh, that tends to be a common trend in people I work with. They're in a transitional period of time. Um, he lived in Colorado and decided, nope, I want to I want to move down to Florida. <laughs> um, but he didn't have a job, and so he but and he knew he didn't actually want to get another job. He realized, you know, through getting laid off that. He just didn't. He he wanted to control uh, his his destiny. So he, I worked with him. Uh, we talked about you know took him through my process. He didn't have a ton of money, um, and, but he had you know a nice you know between his severance and then his four hundred one k. He had you know a good amount to be sustainable because we also talked about his lifestyle. Like, what do you need to pay your bills? <laughs> um, and so turns out he ended up investing in a custom window coverings uh, franchise, uh, which was perfect because it was him solo and he has a business partner that, you know, so it's just the two of them that are running this business from, you know, their home. They, you know, and now they, you know, go and help people in Florida. We have a lot of custom windows. So they help people with figuring out what the, the best, you know, solution uh, to their window coverings is. And he's thriving within, within the first year of him um, buying into that business, he expanded into another territory, you know, so that I, that was such, such a that's so fun to see him succeed like that as somebody who, you know, he never owned a business ever. <laughs> and um, but he was able to just, you know, dig right in and 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 doing really well. And he's living the lifestyle that he wants to live. He's able to go on the vacations that he wants to go on to. And he creates his day however he wants it to look because he can make appointments when it works for him. <laughs> so um, I love that that aspect of, of how he got up and running and I, that I was able to help him do that. Awesome. That's great. So Jenny, how would people reach out to you? I, we've got your LinkedIn profiles for the people who are just listening on the podcast. I want to say that out loud here in a second. But is there any other way you'd rather people like, what's, the, what's your favorite way for the people to get a hold of you? Um, well, I mean, if a little, if curious about a little bit more education and kind of the process that I take my clients through, um, the website, the FranNet website, um, so FranNet.com, uh, if you, you know, FranNet.com backslash my name, Jenny Sutter, you'll get directly to where, you know, a little bit more information on me. So that's great from an educational standpoint, directly reaching out to me. LinkedIn is, is a perfect source because you can, again, kind of see the posts that I put out there, the education I put out there, as well as message me. Um, so that would be another great way for people to, to contact me. So that's LinkedIn uh, slash in slash Jenny hyphen Sutter. Yep. So it's J uh, dash. dash hyphen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Dash the dash Sutter. There you go. Yep. Uh, so, and uh, just want to know if people can get a hold of you there. Uh, our favorite last question, and we are heading to the top of the hour here. Favorite questions always at the end here is what can me or my audience do to help you? Well, I think, you know, just keeping in, in, an ear out for anyone who's maybe looking to diversify. They might already own a business and maybe they don't want to start another business from scratch or buy another business that they have to, you know, kind of, you know, clean up, I guess. Um, so if they're looking for diversification, maybe a franchise is an opportunity to do that, understanding what what types of franchises are out there. So just really keeping an ear out for, for folks who are, are willing to keep an open mind that a franchise might be an option for them. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today. I want to thank you for being here and uh, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. Hang on just for a second after the show. And uh, that's the show guys. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. P 
pm.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.